found it. It's the Japan Way Podcast coming at you from a stone's throw from Kabuki Cho, Shinjuku, the armpit of Asia. It's the Japan Way Podcast. And I am your host, Matthew PMBigelow.com. That's also my website name, conveniently. And with me for the third time going strong in the Shinjuku San Chome, Gochome studio is. Hey, good afternoon. Happy New Year. Akemashite omedeto gozaimasu. Masu sama. Thank you. And just for all the fine folks out there, uh, what, what, how would you introduce yourself? I'm DJO. Yeah. And you can find me on Gab at Tokyo Watch. All right, DJO. Third time's the charm. I'm excited to be back for the Japan What podcast. Yes, yes. Where it's yes. so exciting you won't need the whole seat, just the edge. Oh. <laughs> now, I have. Two presents for you, since uh, I guess, well, let's call them Christmas presents. Oh, right. And Happy then, Kwanzaa. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, these are good presents for yourself, but um, I see these as uh, what I call like post-souvenirs. Mm. Things that you can find everywhere. Take back home with you. Why don't you tell them what um, Sure, we've got two, two little boxes here. There's sweets from Japan. Uh, we have apple brandy, which is uh, by Lotte. It says apple and brandy chocolate, and it looks pretty tasty. There's oh, little... it's tasty and creamy, <laughs> and the brandy is real. Nice. 2.8% alcohol in each in each, in each chocolatey square. <laughs> and we also have a Mintia Plus Voice. Now, Mintia is a um, like a mint company, like a... Like a you pop a mint and there you go. But this is Ikoe Sapoto. So this is a voice supporter. Lemon ginger flavor. I guess that's the voice part. Yes. Well, thank you very much. It, Merry Christmas. I appreciate it. It has a nice taste to it. And these are things, like I said, you can find anywhere. Any convenience store, grocery store. You know, load up a few of them when you get back home. After you've given everything away, you can go ahead. Want some mints? <laughs> no one says no to these things, and the they're not annoying presents. You know how people will give you, like, here's something to hang on your wall. And you're like, mm. no, no, I don't want your nonsense to hang on my wall. But you have to be like, thank you. I've always wanted to hang my wall. I'll hang you on my wall. Uh, what, what is that little thing, and what's he doing with his right hand? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I almost went in a place I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> uh, all right, so um, it's the end of year, and we have some things to do today. Uh, as I like to say, big show today. All the, the only part of your chair you'll need is the edge. Um, now, we've been, uh, we, you know, as somebody who's worked in mainstream news uh, for many, many years, mm -hmm. and, and not even mainstream, but just, you know, a news guy. Uh, yeah. you've, you've been the boots on the ground guy. You've been in, in the back end kind of guy. You've seen all levels of the news um, industry in Japan over the past few decades, I would say, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, on Pretty the close. English side, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, when you are asking about, like, a new car, what would be some things that you would ask? About a new car? Yeah, just for example, like, off the top of the dome, here's a new car. Okay, what kind of engine? Sure. Um, what size is it? How many seats? What does it do? So you have like technical information right off the top of your brain. Right. I think that would be what these people need because this is called a new product. It's Stay Warm with Automatic Supermaker. This is, again, the, uh, oh. the go-to website for the, the podcast here is japantoday.com. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cold weather means spending time indoors and cozying up at home. 
It's also the perfect time to try out new recipes with seasonal ingredients. This winter, have your leftovers taste even longer with the Automatic Soup Maker by Thanko. With five different settings, you can make anything from potage to jam at the push of a button. The device can make soup for up to four people at once. And in 20 minutes, you'll have a hearty bowl of soup. All you need to do is chop up your leftover vegetables and toss them into the soup maker. And then 20 minutes later, you have your soup. Compact and easily cleaned with water and dish soap, it fits perfectly on small counter spaces. Priced at 12,800 yen, the Thanko Automatic Soup Maker is available online and in store. 12,800. Yeah. I don't like soup that much. <laughs> but all you do is chop up. So it makes potage and jam. All you do is chop up your leftover vegetables and toss them into the soup maker. And in 20 minutes, you'll have a soup. So follow-up questions to this. Would you have any? Um, potage and jam are made the same way. Okay, that's one question. That would be a great question. Any, any other questions you have for these people? Oh. How does it make the soup in 20 minutes? How can you make jam or potage in 20 minutes? Like, what does it do? How does this thing work? How do you just throw leftover, you just cook them up, but does it turn them into paste? There's three settings. There's chunky, there's potage, there's jam, there's soy milk, and there's smoothies. I'm getting a lot of tss today. It's t- <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh- Japanese are pretty good with handy appliances. I mean, look at how far they've come with rice cookers. Yes. You know. I, I, have, I bought a rice cooker in 2007. Mm. Still the same one. 50 bucks at Big Camera. Still works like a charm. 15, 16 years later, whatever it is. They've, the, the, the ones that they have now, though, it's like you could basically just put things in there, press two or three buttons. It'll be cooked by the time you get home. Crazy. You know? They make a lot of stuff. Mm. So that is today's very odd new invention. Do you have a picture of it? Um, it's just like a canister with a soup. It's literally just like, yeah, I do, but it's, it's our studio isn't set up oh. to, to show you. Okay. I, I could just say, of course, here it is. Then you could lie and go, wow, here it is. Wow. <laughs> oh, my. Side, where do I go? <laughs> Give it to me now. Now, it's the end of the year, and well, we're going to make some predictions. Okay. Um, and this is based off of, uh, I'm going to ask you another question. As a journalist and uh, someone who's familiar with geography, um, okay. with, with the borders that Japan shares, maritime borders included, because they're all basically maritime borders. Yes. You could dispute that, but if you wanted to, but why bother? What is the whitest country Japan shares a border with? Oh. Ah. Uh, Taiwan? Russia. Oh, Russia. Oh. All right. Slap me. Taiwan. <laughs> They're white because they used to be called Formosa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you don't. Yeah, you're right. Russia. Mm. You, don't, you don't think about it until those irritating articles. Yes, Nazdrovia. About, about getting the islands back, but they're never going to get back. Right, Japan has this, this coral post-World War II where the Soviet Union swept in and took four islands off the north of Hokkaido. Mm. Japan claims they're taken illegally and there's no peace treaty that's been signed because of it. It's Well, they're never getting them back now. There, there's this debate, <laughs> it's like part of this Kuril Island chain mm. um, 
But depending on what type of document you're looking at, like there's like some sort of Paris Accord in the 1800s that separated those islands off of the north of Hokkaido from the Kuril Island chain, saying they belong to some sort of different geographic realm or geographic strata, or however you want to say it. Okay. And I think that's what the Japanese people are using as a backup because they're like, we joined this international organization to help settle these disputes. Here's the evidence that these islands are not part of the Kuril Islands, so they're ours now. But Russia's like, no, we took them because you lost the war. Right. <laughs> like, we, you lost them. We, we took them. They're ours now. Yeah. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yeah. Dmitry Medvedev, who is a gov- Russia government official, is he the, he's like, he was, he was the, he was Putin's shadow meat puppet for a while, right? They do this weird thing between swapping between president and prime minister. Yeah, so, so he, he, he's the other guy that Putin isn't. Yes. But that he was Putin for a while, and then Putin came back. Right. And, but this guy's still around, Dmitry mm-hmm. Medvedev. He posted on Twitter a really outlandish, let's just wait five seconds, let's see if I can filter that out. Okay. He posted on Twitter very outlandish predictions for the year 2023 okay and they only sound outlandish to us because he doesn't obviously know much about us and if we were making predictions about india for 2023 indians might look at our predictions the same way like a lens right like if we were going to say like oh i bet you they're gonna lamb curry will be sold in the temples on april 4th Indians would be like, what type of prediction is that? You know? But it's just the only thing that I can think of because I don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. And I would say that Russians are not very, um, on average, very worldly. They're very insular inside of their Russian sphere, you know? They, well, they can be. They have a very large... Diaspora. Yeah. They do. And the Russian... The Russian diaspora is pretty interesting, actually. So it kind of sounded bigoted what I was trying to say, but maybe it makes sense once I read some of these tweets. Okay. Medvedev said on the New Year's Eve, everybody's into making predictions. Um, here's our humble contribution. And so he makes some predictions. Let's, mm-hmm. And then we'll make some predictions. Oh, yeah. Oil price will rise to $150 a barrel, and gas will top $5 per one, one cubic meters. The UK will rejoin the EU. The EU will collapse after the UK's return. Euro will drop out of use as the former EU currency. <laughs> That's a rather abrupt escalation. Could happen, but I don't know. Is I can see it. Why yeah. would the UK rejoin the EU? Then Poland and Hungary will occupy western regions of the formerly existing Ukraine. The Fourth Reich will be created. <laughs> He's just going really quickly here. Man. <laughs> Encompassing the territory of Germany and its satellites, i.e. Poland and the Baltic states, Czechia, Slovakia, the Kiev Republic, and other outcasts. War will break out between France and the Fourth Reich. Europe will be divided. Poland repartitioned in the process. Northern Ireland will separate from the UK and join the Republic of Ireland. Civil war will break out in the U.S., California, and Texas becoming independent states as a result. This is all in 2023. Wow. Texas and Mexico will form an allied state. Elon Musk will win the presidential election in a number of states after the new civil wars end and have been given to the GOP, the Republicans in the United States. All the largest stock markets and financial activity will leave the U.S. and Europe and move to Asia. 
The Bretton Woods system of monetary management will collapse, leading to the IMF and World Bank crash. Euro and dollar will stop circulating as the global reserve currencies. Digital fiat currencies will be actively used instead. Uh. Oh, well, not all. That's a that's a wild. Like when I was saying that stuff about India, and it was mm. weird. I mean, it's like I don't know, man. That's the, Texas and Mexico will form a, a state. Texans want nothing to do with Mexico. No, they don't, and they're they're facing a big cartel problem. Yeah, so down the, there, so it would be like North Korea will join South Korea, and they will they will make new kebabs for the Indian um, tech workers that they will import there. And then Indian tech workers will use the kebab industry to float a new uh, central bank digital currency based on kebab beat. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, oh, this guy, I can see where he's coming from in some ways, but like, that's a, that's a pretty weird um, conflagration and escalation of events in one year. I mean, that's a, that's a multi, that's a decades long kind of view of how things could work. Right, right. This, this would be very, <coughs> well, I think maybe they threw a couple of them in there, like the Fourth Reich, just to get people to listen. Yeah, because certain people are triggered by that, and it's like, oh, no, here we go. So I have this segment on my, uh, yeah? Hmm? Oh. I have this segment on my iPad. On my, not my iPad, but it's called, it's a segment called High or Not High. High. Or Not High. Was he high? No, no. I, 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 I think he was just trolling people. So let's make our own high or not high predictions for 2023, but bring it back to Japan. That's what we do on the Japan What podcast. You know, Russia's are at a border, and, a, and a, we share. We should know what's going on with them, and we bring it back to Japan. In 2023, this is my prediction. Nagasaki will launch a nuclear attack on Hiroshima. Because Hiroshima takes too much of the pie, the lion's share of the of the nuclear um, wealth that is generated by the town. So to totally eliminate that, Nagasaki will bomb a nuclear bomb. They'll make a dirty bomb and blow up Hiroshima, and then Fukushima Prefecture will restart their uh, pro, their number one power plant that blew up in the in the wake of the you know the tsunami and things and it will blow up again in a bid to ignite nuclear tourism and the devastation that it causes to the types of um, eco-terrorists out there in the world that want to see their vision of an apocalyptic world come to fruition that will happen by February 18th 2023 oh that's that's just around the corner. I know, it's coming up quick. Well, I'm feeling pretty good because I actually did make a prediction about Twitter before all of this Elon Musk stuff started, yes. where I basically said, look, what we're going to find out is that Twitter is something way different than what we think it is. Yeah. And it is turning out that way. <laughs> like, the, the, the Twitter drops are just like... It's are, crazy. But let's focus on the predictions. Do you have any predictions? Yes, I predict that the emperor is going to have to step in and fix a lot of the problems that Japan is having. It will be unprecedented, but he'll be the only one. We've got, when the vaccine stuff breaks, 
<sighs> you don't mess around. You don't mess around. Right. Now, yes, but yes, um, I predict that all this mess that's going on with North Korea and South Korea will be worked out by President Trump. He's going to come back. He's going to reunite the two Koreas, and then he's going to buy Taiwan. <laughs> Turn it into a golf course. There you go. Okay, that's my that's my end of the prediction. Uh, let's do another one. Um, Hokkaido is going to launch an attack and reclaim the southern half of the island of Sahalin, which was under Japanese control prior to World War II, the southern half of this northern island called Sakhalin or Sahalin. They'll rename it. They'll take the rename it to its previous name under Japanese occupation, which was Karafuto. Okay. And then they will launch an, uh, an, uh, an attack um, from a joint attack from the island of Hokkaido in the southern half of Sahalin or Karafuto into North Korea and reclaim Japan's nuclear bomb testing grounds that they were developing at the end of World War II so that they can then in turn sell enriched uranium to America so that America doesn't have to rely on uh, Russia's deposits in Kazakhstan that Hillary sold in the uranium one deal in 2015-16. No, 14-13. I can't remember. What around then? So that's, that's that. They're going to reclaim all that and then turn it into an enricher. We need to get back to something you just said a minute ago. At the end of World War II, research, testing. This is new to me. Oh, um, this is an idea, and I've, I've researched it a couple of times, and I've seen some evidence that would um, purport it to be true, that uh, a variety of countries were working on a, a nuclear bomb um, uh, towards the end of World War II. The science was out there. It had right. been published. Mm. These ideas were out there. But splitting the atom in terms of engineering was one thing that was very hard to do because of the power required to do it. Um, and Tokyo, the government, the Imperial Japanese Navy, Army, or whatever, mm. had been working on this. Uh, but they were worried that they would lose to at the end of World War II or they would lose territory and lose their research facilities to the Allies. So they moved the Japanese powers moved their research facilities into North Korea, which was Japanese territory at the time. Right. And in the north of North Korea, what is now North Korea, um, there's these giant mountains and giant rivers. So they could use the power of these rivers to fuel nuclear testing, use as a power source to, to you know, to conduct nuclear tests. Hydropower. Yeah, and in the nuclear test site that is used currently um, by uh, Rocket Man. Um, in North Korea, um, is located in what is purported to be the same area that Japan had been trying to conduct and may have indeed conducted a nuclear test at the end of World War II, like a small nuke, like a giant flash bomb had been reported in that area towards mm. the end of World War II. And there are speculation, um, speculative accounts that purport that it could have been a nuclear test. Uh, and so these, I'm kind of analyzing a variety of like, Crackpots, Wikipedia, and like news news articles that I research into this, and I'm combining it into one right now, right off the top of my dome in my memory. Mm. Um, so that's why I'm saying that North Korea is not handling this nuclear testing site very well. So that's why Hokkaido, combined with the reclaimed territories of Sahalin, will go in and reclaim the nuclear testing site and then turn it into an enricher to help power the Americans so they don't have to rely on, on uh, Russia's reserves in Kazakhstan that Hillary Clinton sold them. Yes, she did. Yes. <laughs> wow. Hi. 
Are we hot? Or not hot? Not yet. We should open those those, uh, those, those brandy chocolates. <laughs> two of them, you'll get a buzz. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, do you have any other predictions? I have one more. This one's the wildest. This one doesn't even shine a light to what I've been saying right now. Go ahead. 2023, Japanese people will get over their fear of COVID and take off their masks. <gasps> no. I'm telling you, I'm, this is the wildest one. I, uh, I, I, uh, what will happen? What will What's the mask do? Hiroshima launching a nuclear attack on Nagasaki, or mm. vice versa, Nagasaki launching an attack on Hiroshima, or Japanese people taking off their masks. I'm going to go with the first one. <laughs> <laughs> no, they can't. Like, even today, I was... The, the scowls I was getting on my way here. Yeah, we don't wear masks no. on the Japan What podcast. Yeah, if you get if you walk around town wearing a mask, I can't put up with it anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't. I just don't want to be around you. <laughs> I'm just like, get out of here. <laughs> go go away. <laughs> um, I'm done with it. I've been done with it since May 2020. So it was like, we're moving into 2023 now. And I was at the restaurant getting some, you know, Hong Kong curry noodles that this place does. It's so good. Um, and just... One table was there, all masked up. They eat, take off their masks, finish eating. As soon as they put the masks on and leave, next table, same thing. And everybody, everybody everywhere, except in some little tiny zones, are still masked up. I still see people driving alone in their cars wearing a mask. That's, that is really the, you might as well just I put see, a, an idiot tattoo on your 12, forehead. Like a group of 12-year-old <laughs> kids all wearing masks. Like it's not good what we're doing to the children at all. On, on my way to the station, there's a I pass a um, a school ground where they play baseball, and yeah, half the kids wearing a mask. And old man in a park sitting alone reading a book, masked up. Masked up, because you never know the virus is smart. They're brave enough to take a experimental gene therapy over and over and over again, but they're not brave enough to breathe the air. <laughs> that is mental. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm actively speaking out against it because I don't like it. I don't like what this country is becoming, actually. It's, I feel like some sort of right-wing national talk show, this is not what the Constitution says, and it's unconstitutional. But it's like, no, nah, it, it make, it's making the country worse. It's making the kids worse. And it's turning everybody into a psycho in terms of being like totally scared of germs or implementing this new mask culture that doesn't do anything. Fuck it. There is half a generation coming up that's going to be so stupid by comparison. Okay, this is how babies work. They spend the first several years just recording everything. That's why they look at you or they're looking at something else and you're like, what are you looking at? They're recording. They record everything. What they're missing is a good two to three years of their mother's face, her expressions, her things that she does, you know. Now, now everything is with the eyes. She's, you know. Yeah. They, they've just, like, lost all this stuff um, all this time. And it's not coming back. It, it won't. And by the time people realize it. You're going to have a bunch of psychos working around the and we're gonna pitchforks and torches and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I believe that in it. So that that's our segment. Hi or not high? Are we high? Not yet. Not yet. We're not high, everyone. Um, 
we're going to do a public service announcement because it's the end of the year. And yes, we have news and yes, we have predictions and there's so many things out there, but there's also, we want to keep people safe. Keeping people safe at the Japan What podcast is something that we always need to be aware of and um, vigilant about, in fact. Uh, So I've talked to people who've overstayed their visas. I've talked to people who've um, maybe uh, gotten caught with like some pills they shouldn't have Mm. at immigration. And they're not exactly friendly over here, are they, Jeff? No, they are sticklers for the rule. And, you know, it is their country. Very true. Very true. So go for it. The following is a public service announcement from the Coalition to Preserve Beer Streeters after podcast. Whatever you do on your next visit to Japan, or even if you live here, staying out of immigration trouble and keeping a wide distance from police custody could save your life. Since 2007, 17 foreigners have died in detention in Japan, which works out to just over one per year. In November, an Italian man in his 50s committed suicide in the Tokyo immigration facility where he was being detained. He's believed to have electrocuted himself using a torn electric cable from a TV in his cell. In March 2021, a Sri Lankan woman died at an immigration detention facility in Nagoya. She was detained in August and April 2020 for illegally overstaying her visa. Since mid-January 2021, she had been experiencing health problems, including vomiting and dizziness. She was 33. There have been zero indictments in this case. And then there's regular police custody. Aichi police revealed recently that a 43-year-old unemployed man being detained in the city of Okazaki died after refusing to eat food for three days. An autopsy showed the cause of death was kidney failure and dehydration. The detainee, who was also a diabetic, diabetic, was not given any medication either while in custody, police said. This violated the Act on Penal Detention Facilities, which specifies that inmates who do not consume any food or drinks must be given medical attention. It was also revealed that the man was confined in a holding cell with no clothes for over 140 hours. That is almost six days. And he had restraints on his wrists and legs for more than 100 hours. Oh, and they kicked him. A senior officer was involved in that, and it's all on tape. So before you get carried away with year-end revelries... Or think you can pull a Britney Griner and land in Japan with drugs in your possession and get away with it because you're a transgender athlete... Take a moment to ensure you don't become a statistic. No malarkey! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's our PSA, everybody. So the, the police tried to uh, apologize for this, and the man's father held an hour-long press conference and excoriated the cops. I like that word. Me too. Excoriated is a good one. Well, I'm guessing he's probably next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got... All right. 
There we go. That's the take. Not bad. Some, I did that music live, everyone. By the way, I, I was reading and jamming to the PSA live. That's how much we value your safety here at the Japan What Podcast. If you're interested in the Japan What Podcast, you can always go to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Uh, you can also listen to us on any mobile streaming app. Or you can donate at paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. That's paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. Where can people find you, DJO? They can find me at on Gab at Tokyo Watch. And somebody gave me a weird comment there the other day. They said I wasn't posting enough. And it's like, um, I, I'm, it says Tokyo Watch. I watch. I'm a watcher. I watch. I'm a watcher. I'm a watcher. <laughs> it's what I do. So I watch things. All right. Where do we go next? Um, I'm worried about, uh, this is just some no malarkey. Speaking of no malarkey. No malarkey. Japan and the COVID and the Great Reset by Klaus Schwab. I've been following this. I've been following the, the World Economic Forum very casually because from 2015 to 2019, I worked at SoftBank as an English teacher who was given like a room to research and teach about trends in artificial intelligence, IoT and blockchain. And every year at Davos, there's a whole bunch of people that gather there for that reason because the founder of the WEF, Klaus Schwab, is also the author of some books, including the one I'm holding right now, COVID-19 or COVID-AI and The Great Reset. But he also wrote about the fourth industrial revolution and blockchain technology and all of this. Um, as we know, the Japan is really involved in the WEF on some really major levels, mm. especially on the corporate level. On the day-to-day -day level, it's absolutely nothing. But as we discussed last time, um, Japan is plugged in on the elite scale into all of these international um, communities and activities because of Japan's lack of natural resources. They have to go out and negotiate and buy gold mines where they're available or bring in oil from anywhere they go and where, where it's supported. And to get on that level and bring it in, and you know, you have to be smart and you have to be connected. It's not like Canada where they just say, hey, we have some oil tar sands up here. Let's just go and get it all. <laughs> it's, just, it's right there. Uh, but it's quite different when you have to import and export everything. And Japan is one of those countries. So they're involved in the WEF. I talked about this before, but just one example is um, uh, Klaus Schwab and Kishida meet personally when Klaus Schwab comes to Japan. And then they repeat the same um, information to each other. Like one thing about researching this type of information that I learned from SoftBank is um, vocabulary sets. Yes. Um, stakeholder capitalism, fourth industrial revolution and all these things. And then you can see who's playing that same game because circular economy as well. What I'd like to just say here is in Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, in the part two, 2.1.4, he talks about stakeholder capitalism and ESG. And when Klaus Schwab came to Japan to meet with Kishida, they also talked about Kishida's new economy, new capitalism, mm. uh, and also in that same sentence mentioned that it's basically a, a pseudonym or an alternate for stakeholder capitalism. Um, and that, that stakeholder capitalism was mentioned on 
the government website, the government uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Japan website when Klaus Schwab came to Japan. They mirror these same things. Um, Kishida, Prime Minister Kishida, who wants to create this new economy, also talks about the circular economy. Have you heard about that? It's been mentioned a few times, but it I, everything's been overshadowed recently by all of the, uh, okay, we got to spend more on defense and right. buy some Tomahawk missiles so that you know Nagasaki can attack Hiroshima. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think people are going for it. Um, and plus, he keeps losing these cabinet ministers. This is crazy. Yeah, he's... He, 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 Despite having a very slick appearance mm. and being very savvy on the political level, um, his his administration is not translating well to the local level because of the involvement with the WEF is my idea. They're so up the WEF's ass as a kind of a way to see a future that they can't procure themselves for the rest of Japan. The rest of Japan doesn't even know what they're talking about, but the Japan's elites are now kind of embarked on this mission with hmm. the circular economy and the WEF, it's, the, the die has been cast, the Rubicon has been crossed, we're in this together, and that's where we're going. That's kind of my, that's my thinking. And the, the website for this that we can allude to, um, just very briefly, is called um, Previous Global Future Council on Japan on the World Economic Forum website. And they have these... Um, these briefings and things like that. And in the briefings, they talk about the circular economy on the WEF webpage for Japan. Okay. And they talk about how important the circular economy is for um, reducing carbon footprints and, and, and helping with um, sustainable development goals. The sustainable development goals, the Ooh, SDGs. Everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Everywhere. And um, uh, what's the one with the, there's one other one, there's the SDGs, what's the one with the O, the O in the title? Sustainable Development. ODA? No. I can't remember. That's Official Development Assistance. Um, no, no the, the, yeah, the SDG stuff, it's, it's everywhere. It, it, that little rainbow circular That's what I'm talking thing. about, that's the circular economy. Yeah. Same with the donut economy. There's another proponent of this called the donut economy, and they... And they use the O and with a whole bunch of colors inside of it. And each color represents a kind of mechanism with this SDG aspect to improve the economy for everybody. Whether you want it improved or not, whether you want to go down this road or not, it's been decided. And so that O gets put on things as a symbol to let other people know you're safe here if you believe that. Like we're welcoming you here. You're welcome here. It, it's it, it's like runic knights putting the runes on a temple or something like that. Regular people don't know what it means, but if you know what it means and you're supportive of it, you're welcome there. And everyone's doing this all over the world, especially in Japan. Once you notice those little lapel pins, you can't unsee it. They ah. are they are everywhere on the news. Yes, the yes. SDG ones? Oh, yes. I haven't seen them, so they're everywhere. Now, just very briefly, just to kind of, I, I go to the bottom of this page to see the contributors of, uh, from Japan corporate level into the WEF um, for mm. the SDGs and the circular economy and all that. Um, we have Hiroshi Aoi, who is the chief uh, executive officer at Marui Group. We have Tomohiro Fujita, who's the chief executive officer of Chichose Bioevolution. Kyoko Gendatsu, the executive producer of NHK Enterprises. 
Tomomi Fukumoto, Advisor, CSR Ambassador at Suntory Holdings. Yoshihiro Hasebe, President and Chief Executive Officer at Kao Corporation. We also have high-level people from Mitsui Corporation, Kyoto News, editorial writers at Kyoto News. And if you look at some of these keywords, like I was doing last night, Kyoto News pops up. So Kyoto News gets into this SDG development with the WEF, and then they report on it on their own website in English about how the SGGs, SDGs and circular economy and Kishida can help improve the world with Japan becoming more like this. That's kind of this aspect of the circular economy and getting people in on it mm. to, uh, to advise people or inform people about the SDG. So we have NHK, we have Kyoto News, we have Mitsui Corporation, um, she's an energy, uh, we just uh, Fuji Oil Holdings. And this is the weirdest one. It's like we need to decarbonize. So we're going to be an oil company and we're going to decarbonize by investing in global carbon offsetting and putting up some windmills over here. And now we're decarbonized as an oil company. It's it's a mental case. And I, I really can't stand these people. <laughs> they're, they're worse than the mask people. The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. University of Tokyo. Um, uh, <laughs> It's, it's, University of Tokyo, uh, University of Tokyo, um, Social Innovation Japan, Asahi Shimbun, uh, to- University of Tokyo. So we have the elites of the elites of the elites all in on this. Mm. But they don't tell us that they're all in on it, but they kind of do because they have the SDG circular economy loop on all their pins. And they're right. kind of saying, by 2050, we will decarbonize. What do you think about all this? I, 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 oh God, carbon is plant food. Carbon dioxide is plant food. I eat plants, you know, it's crazy. I I don't know. It's, I don't know where they're getting most of their motivation from, Uh, but it is everywhere. It's in everything. Um, Headlines that you see were written with completely one bias, it's like, ah, oh, climate change is going to kill us. Well, wait a minute. 20 years ago, it was supposed to freeze us to death. Um, yeah, I, I watched a Leonard Nimoy documentary from 1970-something, I think, about global cooling. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Spock, I'm Spock, and it's global cooling. <laughs> I have an inconvenient truth for you. Yeah. Not happening. Well, yeah, it's it's climate. The climate changes. Otherwise, it would just be outside. It, yeah. But it's the corporate aspect of all this is the, the part that really kind of blows my mind, that all of these corporations are completely in on it, and they view it as the future for the economy, even though there's been no return on investment. None. It's so, like, we're going to have blockchain. It's going to be the, the solution. You invest hundreds of billions of dollars in blockchain. It just all goes somewhere else. All that money, all that investment. And we get surveillance as a result. Like it's, let's get rid of all of our money, trash the economy, and Mm. instead we'll just get surveillance. Doesn't sound like a good deal. (laughs) It sounds horrible. (laughs) But Japan is in on all of it. And uh, the Kishida, I just established the links between the government the news and um, high-level corporations and e- elites in, in all their universities. And Sophia University is also in, in all this stuff. So it, it's, it's been decided. I'm just a guy who noticed, but it's like mm. the bus drivers turned on the key, the route's been decided, 
and we're going that way. We're on the highway. If you want to get off, you better know how to roll. What's funny is that the Japanese people will follow this. They won't know what it is, but they'll happily follow it. If like the masks? Yeah, the masks. Let's just put a cartoon character on it. And, you know, they'll, they'll go along with it, but... Uh, it could be good if I knew it was going to be good. Mm. Like, when, when the car came out and people started driving around in cars, the combustion engine, mm. people went, maybe we don't need as many horses now. There's the thing, and it's there, and we have it, and we can go and get it. And now I can get this thing and then replace it with my horses with this thing. Some people said, no, I want to keep my horses. And they said, okay. Some people said, but my industry of making horse things for horses will be threatened. And they said, yeah, well, you better get in his seats, motherfucker, because um, that's the future. But it was there. It was something that was there. But this, this whole thing, it doesn't seem to be materializing. And as somebody who studied it professionally for five years of my life with people trying to do it at SoftBank, high-level executives at SoftBank, it's all been just a lot of hot air. They invested $100 billion into this industry, and it, it's like they have a bunch of technology, but it's not really profitable at this point. Well, whatever improvements they're planning are not for us. They're for them, these, these people in that, in that club that we're not in. Do you think when they say decarbonized, it means kill everybody? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, this is what they're doing. Um, like governments are taking over farms in Europe. Um, why? Well, yeah. there's this massive shortage everywhere because Russia invaded Ukraine, so there's no fertilizer. Um, so. Let's close down all the farms because of nitrogen and global warming. And you're like, this doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, let's like the U.S. gas prices. Let's let's blame that on Russia. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, the prices were going up before this happened. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> shut up. <laughs> We're, we, we've done nothing wrong. Everything is everybody else's fault. That's right. Yeah. So that's, I'm going to be following, I need to make like a jingle beat because the, I view the WEF as like just a, one of these things that's going to keep on delivering. It's going to keep on getting weirder and weirder and weirder. And the more and more people offload billions of dollars into their strange projects the weirdness will be the the return on investment is just life getting weirder that's my that's my theory it's just yeah. going to get weirder they're going to get weirder i'm just going to be like hey can i just go to the park and like yeah you can go to the park but it's going to be weird yeah well and and how many no it, it, these these improvements are not for us mm. therefore these people that you know after they kill off 90% of us. <laughs> you know the Georgia Guidestones that blew up? Yes. I don't, you know how you like, there's the, um, the seal on, an, on, a, on a royal envelope, the wax seal? Yeah. And if you break the seal, that means the letter's been opened, which right. means you, can, you know that it's been read. What if, what if blowing up the Georgia Guidestones was like breaking the seal, like opening the letter, like it's go time? That was such a weird thing. And we were all like, wait, wait, somebody. They cleaned it up in one day. And then, the, so I maybe it was a call to action. It might have been. I mean, no, nobody knows who put it there, but like everything that was on it was really bone chilling. Yeah. You're like going, oh, yeah, that sounds, wait a minute. Wait 500 a minute. million people, all about uh, nature, uh, reduce see. the carbon is basically what it's saying. You so, know, yeah. uh, there were a couple of good things, you know, be nice to the earth, something like that. Be nice to the earth. 
but we'll kill you. <laughs> Sorry, we're being nice to the earth. All right. You got anything else for today? What? Well, actually, can I do a quick rant that I forgot to do last time? Yo, rant away, my friend. Rant okay. away. Okay. This is to anyone out there who is posting or sharing the false meme that says Japan has stopped COVID vaccinations and gave everybody ivermectin. Okay, hold on a second. I have a jingle for you. This is to get you revved up for okay. the rant. Okay. Stop. For the love of God, please just stop. Every day I walk by people whose job it is to stand in one spot with a sign on a stick pointing people to the nearby vaccination site. Ivermectin has been buried here despite a small but successful clinical trial last year. Uh, was a particular father figure politician fake assassinated in broad daylight because he wanted to do that? Maybe, I'm not sure yet. But the meme as it's being posted right now is just so astoundingly false. It's bad. End of rant? That's it. That's the rant. Here we go. That should be the one to put at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Yeah. Um, this is the thing where Japan is so unrepresented in the global news, the global, you know, conversation mm. where it's like one doctor will say, hey, this is bad. And it gets like a million views on Twitter, but it doesn't get a million views on Twitter inside of Japan. Almost nobody sees it. A few people see it, but still the mainstream, very mainstream thing is go get your booster, mm. go get your experimental gene therapy. And then put the mask on because you don't want to breathe the air. That's about 95% of Japan still. Well, there is actually some good news. Um, where is it? Ah, Japanese people should soon be able to conduct funerals like they've done for a thousand years because they're easing the COVID stuff. And this includes the part where you pick up hot bones from the cremation table with chopsticks. Right. That's why you're not supposed to pass food from one pair of chopsticks to another when you're at a dining out experience because mm. it's a funeral rite and, and according to their strange customs. So if somebody supposedly dies uh, from COVID in um, the year coming up, they won't have to, they'll be able to have regular funeral. Oh, you'll be able to pass bones from one chopsticks to another. Have you ever done that? My older brother, both of my, both of my brothers are married to Japanese women mm. and my older brother is now like the oldest, the eldest brother in his family. Mm. So he did have to do that when one of their grandparents died. He had to be at the front, pick up the bones out of this yeah. crematorium thing and, and pass them from one chopstick to another chopstick, pair of chopsticks. Have you? Yeah, my, my, my father-in-law back when I was, years oh. ago when I was married, and you don't forget that. You don't forget the heat. You don't forget the smell. And you, you're like, you don't want to make a mistake. You, right. It's, it's, it's like all eyes are on the foreigner. Can he handle chopsticks? Oh my goodness. The ultimate foreigner chopstick test. He's, he's he's finding room down the sidelines. There he goes. <laughs> and you do it, and like everybody's like, oh, hashi jozu. They forget right. to. <laughs> Foreigner does it. You really know how to use your chopsticks on our old man's bones. But, yeah, no, that 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 really kind of freaked me out, and you you don't forget it. Yeah, like that that guy is dead. He's dead. <laughs> he's super dead. <laughs> 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 Interesting. 
Uh, I think I have a couple, one or two more things um, before we wrap up for the day. Um, by the way, I'll just say this. This is from Kyoto News. Mm. Japan aims to expand size of circular economy to tr 80 trillion yen by 2030. So there you have the 2030 goal. You have the circular economy. Mm. Kyoto News, which is funding, putting, investing into the World Economic Forum's goals and things like that. So that's just, just one thing that I forgot to get to that I wanted to get to. <laughs> um, one more thing is... Some AI. Ooh. Two AI stories. One, this one's stupid. The next one is good. And I'll explain why. Fuji demonstrates autonomous mobile robot for moving carts in retail stores. Um, this would just be like a, a like a, one of those Amazon robots that works in a warehouse and moves things around for getting prepared for delivery. Um, this one would be um you know, a robot thing that carries goods inside the store to places. Okay. This, I don't think, is actually a good idea. There's, it could, we went to that size areas where they had that robot. Yes. And that works well because the customers are, in large part, seated. Mm. And they put their order in, and then they're at that place. So the robot can move there and relatively move around, like a couple of customers moving around, and then the shop staff will be aware of how that robot operates after a couple of days where they can kind of understand the ins and outs. But at a retail store, there's so many types of goods hanging on the racks and things fall down. And, and you know, to have a, a retail robot moving around an actual store where there's so much variability with customers coming and going and picking things up and dropping them, I, it actually, and then the robot doesn't look cool. It looks like a giant cage so it's mm. not like it's not very welcoming, you know, like you kind of want a cute girl with a low rider pair of jeans when you walk into a retail store, you know, like who's kind of going, hey, you know, and then offers you help if you want some. And you're like, hmm, maybe she'll blow me in the change room. <laughs> I don't know. But you don't think of those things when you see a robot that looks like a cage. You're like, this robot's not going to blow me. I'm going to leave the store now. And that's why I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> If the robot had a giant pair of lips on it, it wouldn't matter how it looked. People would go in thinking maybe they'll, they'll get a handy on the opposite side of that. But as far as I can tell, this type of application, no good. They don't like it. So, wait a minute. This thing just moves inventory or you tell it to go get you a shirt? No, it it, it's, it? it's, not like a, it's not like an assistant. It's like an inventory thing. So, oh. I think the idea would be when thinking about it um, in terms of the logistics and um, the applications for involving AI and robotics in the workplace would be this thing moves around the store, um, putting carrying goods to where they need to go mm. so that you don't have to hire people to do that. And instead, the people working in the store can work with the customers and, and help them out if they need helping out or or pick up all the of the fallen things. But the the optics look bad of this giant cage robot moving around um, the store and... Uh, there's too much variability. Like if you have a, the sushi shop sushi roll, on one side you have the robotics of the sushi conveyor belt delivering your sushi and things like that. Mm. And then the customer picks it up from that point. But there's a division between the human and the AI robotic component there. That makes it feasible. But when you have the robots working in a high volatility environment next to humans, it just nothing, it, it leads to badness. Because 
Nobody understands what's supposed to happen. The thing always breaks down. People don't like it. It's creepy. It's too close. It, 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 it's on that, it's on the bad side of the uncanny valley. But when you have that, that barrier or the separation, we're at that stage now where it works. Like Amazon works. Uh, warehousing works for this type of stuff, automation right. and things like that. Even bakeries, like um, there's a with wheat uh, company in China mm. and the, the robots will bake the bread and the customer picks up the bread and the customer scans the bread and pays with a QR code and then takes the bread away themselves. This works because of that separation of the barriers where the customer interacts with the AI through a barrier of like the, the food is delivered and then you pick up the food and then you pay for the food and the you don't need a, a cashier because the computer vision camera scans the food and understands what the, the shape of the food and the pricing of the food, and you pay with a QR code. It's really interesting. And then the manager, instead of hiring dishwashers three times a month that are always quitting, the dishes can be washed by AI products now um, and then set up in, in counters and even things like that. So th you cut the costs down on that side of things, and then the the manager is now working with designers to make the shop look really interesting. So the customer doesn't interact with the robotics inside of the shop. The customer interacts with the experience of the front end of the shop and the back end is handled by the AI and the robotics. That's feasible now. But this whole idea of a cage walking around with sweaters, you know, rolling around the store with sweaters in a, in a who wants to engage in that? Who wants to go to that shop? Nobody does. Well, haven't you heard? There's a labor shortage in Japan. <laughs> Just, despite being plenty of jobs, actually. Um, no, there's a labor shortage. And we have to look ahead, really, because uh, I think the next big issue is going to be machine rights. Yes. We'll get to that. This is the other one that I thought was good. Fujitsu and Tokai University develop ultrasound AI tech to test quality of frozen tuna. Okay. So you, by scanning the ultrasound of the tuna and having huh. all of the data of how tuna looks and good tuna and bad tuna, you can go through that with the camera and then analyze the imagery on the other end and determine if it's good or not good. Same with like medical imaging and things like that. A, a, a semi-processed tuna very much looks the same. And then you can have all the imagery in the cameras determine whether that's good or bad on the inside. And then say, this one is likely to be better than this one. And then you can price it that way. Instead of having to invasively go in with needles or, or, or knives or things like that, you can scan it and then that scan will determine the quality. Uh, to me, that makes nothing but total awesome sense. And then it puts it on the back end mm. so that the front end people can determine which type of tuna they would like based on the imagery being collected by the scanners and the AI. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I mean, you know, it's a solution, I suppose. Yeah, so these are two, the good and the bad of this AI world that we're moving into. I, I like it. I like it. I think it's good. Yeah, so instead of having some guy, some Taro who's been working there for a month, go in with a knife on some expensive tuna, you, you have the best trained people and the imagers and, and, the, and the fishmongers, they can scan it and then determine themselves and create a data set of what is good and not good. And then that information is provided to customers. So you get expert quality information provided to buyers that will elevate the trust level um, for this industry. Mm. 
I don't eat tuna. I like it. <laughs> it I've, could be tuna. It could be something else. I've, I've, I've been out on the, on the ocean. I know what goes in there. Ah, right. As a former Navy man. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think that's about it. Um, what? How are we running here for time? We're about 56 minutes. We got a crow calling. It's 1 p.m. Studio time's coming up. Last thing that we'll do mm. for the year end. When somebody tells you that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has raised oil prices and standard of living prices in places like Japan, does that make sense to you? No, it does not, because they can say it does, but this isn't the reality. So, like, why doesn't that make sense to you? Because I'm not, okay, there's the bias that people have going into this type of story. Oh, Russia... Bloody and it's it's a bloody invasion, you know. And when actually no, it's 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 a lot of like pinpoint strikes and and things like that. But no, they preface everything with it, um, and it's not the invasion didn't cause it. The sanctions caused the reaction. It. Yeah, right. So you know, all you have to do is like stop reacting. And I saw this like. As soon as Japan started getting in on this, and this was back when, when Abe was, was still around, um, you just knew right then that Japan was willing to throw away those four little islands up north for the sake of this whole thing, the whole war narrative. You need a cover story in a situation like this. That's why all those things that they're going to improve aren't for us. We're not supposed to be here. This comes to us from um, the website Nikkei. Mm. And I've edited it because they're very flowery, actually. They go on and on. This comes to us, how Ukraine war shook and shaped Asia in 2022. And so it says Bangkok. On December 13th, the Myanmar Air Force unveiled two Russian fighters, like airplanes, during a ceremony to celebrate its 75th anniversary. The jets, the first of six ordered in 2018 and delivered earlier this year, are twin-engine, two-seaters. So it says, like, so they're moving closer together. Um, the ceremony highlighted the cozy ties between the two governments, um, especially essentially two strongmen responsible for military actions with some of the farthest-reaching implications for the post-Cold War era. I don't know. Both committed acts that undermined the peaceful world order and disrupted supply chains, and both devastated economies, and both divided association of Southeast Asian nations as never before. Well, I'm thinking, like, I read this, and I'm like, what about America's invasion of Afghanistan, Iraq, Korea, Vietnam, Iran-Contra? Oh, no, those were all okay, because we, we had a reason. We don't remember what that reason was. Right. Forget about it. <laughs> Kiev may be a world away from Asia, but the conflict has impacted the region in a myriad ways, from driving inflation and food shortages to altering relationships and motivating policy adjustments. On the, it doesn't really give us anything. It says resource-poor Japan depends on imported fuel for nearly 90% of its needs, and the war has raised energy risks while prompting some awkward decisions. This whole article kind of goes into saying... Well, Myanmar is working with Russia, and it's doing pretty good. Mm. When Japan is working with the Sahalin projects uh, for the natural gas, liquid natural gas imports, it's doing pretty good. And when Prime Minister Modi of India is now importing Russian oil at a fraction of the cost, but still a huge amount, 
that's pretty good. Even though Russia has the fertilizer, it used Ukraine as a corridor, but now Ukraine has that cor- Russia has that corridor. The whole the whole crux of this article could be summed up as those that are going with Russia right now are actually doing pretty good. Yeah. And everybody that's not going with Russia is kind of screwed. And complaining a lot. And complaining a lot. Um, that's, but the whole article is like the, 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 the top and the bottom end are like, Russia's bad. And the end of the, Russia's bad. Because it's bad. But then all of the actual data in the article is saying... There's a lot of investment going on. There's a lot of infrastructure development going on. And all of the Western people are just like, you're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to think about how you're going to do better. So there's no actual data supporting the actions against Russia. And as a result, countries within Asia that are working with Russia seem to be doing better, including Japan. Japan's doing this double game that they always do where they like, we're going to join all the WEF stuff but we're still going to import all of the gas we need from Russia. And when they do all the gas importing they need from Russia, turns out not bad. But when they invest in all this WEF stuff, it turns out to be bad. That's my, that's, that's my conclusion. Well, peop- there are a lot of people now who are just finding out what BRICS means. BRICS has been around for years. It's Brazil, Russia, India, China. South Africa. South Africa. That's the one I always... <laughs> yeah. It's the weirdest one. Yeah, why there, is that one there? There has been this kind of monetary grouping alliance. These these countries have been working together forever, and now everybody turns on Russia. Oh, you know, we're going to sanction you. Okay, we're not going to sell you any oil. Oh, you can't do that. You're holding us hostage with energy. Wait, wait yeah. a minute. Why are you being such a bitch? Yeah. <laughs> why are you acting like a crazy ex-girlfriend? It's 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 comical. Um, in a way that's really not funny because, hey, winter's coming. I hear Europe gets John really Snow, winter's coming. cold. Yeah, it's, it's cold. They need it. Um, if you're going to have a massive industrial hub for manufacturing global needs with cars and components, and Germany does a lot of that. Bavaria is a very serious place, but, you know, hmm, oh, maybe we'll just put a solar panel on our factory and that will make things go. They need a cover story, and they're trying to find one. What uh, did I hear yesterday that uh, a drone, North Korean drone, yeah, flew into South Korea, and they, like, chased it around for an hour because <laughs> they couldn't shoot it down? <laughs> um, it's like, wait, 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 what? Who cares? Drones are rudimentary technology. It's like, so they, they had a remote control car with a camera on top of it. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that's actually a crime in South Korea. Could be. There's a lot of weird stuff in South Korea. So that is the end of year review. Unless you have anything else, Jeff, that you'd like to impart on the beautiful people listening to this podcast. I'm looking forward to coming back in the new year. Yes. I really am. It, there is a broadcast I would really like to do from Nihonbashi, if we can figure out a way to get into that little studio there. Oh, yeah, let's look into it. That sounds good. I can, I know everything about that area. And yeah. you want to talk about deep Japan, this is like where, okay, we, we, we call Shinjuku the armpit. Yes. Nihonbashi is the, the womb. Oh, the womb the of womb, Japan. Womb, womb, womb. 
Join us next time, everybody, where we will work as hard as we can at Japan What? To get into the womb, the womb. of Japan. Take her easy, everyone. Well, 2022 was uh, worse than 2021, and 2023 probably going to be worse than that. Happy New Year, everyone. Keep it safe. Keep your ID on you at all times. That robot ain't going to blow you. <laughs> Neither is the girl. But you'll still go in there, thinking she might. You sick fucks. <laughs>